Good morning. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate you being here with us this morning. Glad we can be back on the air after being off for a couple of weeks because we have, uh, I, I was having surgery and couldn't be here. So we're glad that uh, all of you are here with us. We want to welcome you to come to listen to the show each week at 9 o'clock on WPSL. Sorry, I'm stumbling here. I messed up Skype. hope it's still working. Kind of got the <laughs> window open too. and all kind of other <laughs> stuff going on. But in any event, uh, uh, we're, we're glad you're here with us. We'll be on till 10 o'clock this morning is what I was trying to say, and it's a live call-in show. So if you'd like to call in the show, you can reach us on uh, – here in WPSL at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. But before the, the calls, Mike, we, we'd like to answer a question we got. Yeah, we, we are going to talk answer a question we got last time, and so before we get started. But in any event, uh, you can join the show. Uh, <clears throat> you can call the show at that number when we get ready to, to take the shows and uh, – in any event, we'll we'll do that in just a moment. This is a show brought to you by the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. My name is Mike Schmidt. Uh, with me is Gary Jones. We're the elders of the church here on Savona Boulevard, and we'd like to invite you to come and be with us on Sunday. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard and um, uh, here in Port St. Lucie, and we meet uh, at 10 o'clock for Bible study on Sunday mornings. 11 o'clock for worship with preaching and communion, and then 7.30 on Wednesday night, 2196. We're not going to ask you for money, just an ordinary group of people trying to follow the New Testament in order to worship and and grow and to learn about God. Uh, So we'll have some other information a little bit later in the show about how to get a hold of us and things. But right now, a couple weeks ago, during one of our recorded shows while I was uh, laid up, uh, Gary presented some material on meekness on how to be a, what it means to be a meek person. And um, basically, I think you said, Gary, that meekness is uh, well, it's not really character def- under control. Uh, well, it's fearless power and strength under, control, power, yeah, under control of God. It's a person that's gentle and mild in nature or behavior. They endure injury with patience and without resentment, and they're easily taught. Now, that definition is one that I came up with from looking at Scripture and what was the men that are called meek. Right. Well, you, and you don't find that definition in Webster. No, because it, we usually get uh, some kind of idea of being passive or shy or weak out of this idea of meekness. And that isn't at all, I think, what the word means in the Bible, not only how it's defined in the original languages, but how it's used as you present it. Now, we had a question that came in related to this that from a text that of course we couldn't answer because it was a recorded show and and we covered it a little bit but maybe not to the degree that we should have and that Robert the texture says how does meekness relate to the righteous anger in the temple and I think he's referring of course to Jesus chasing out the money changers at the temple and turning over the tables in displaying this kind of anger, uh, does that show meekness or is that not meekness? Or So you had some thoughts on that, Gary. We'll kind of explore this for a few minutes and then we'll Well, that incident is listed in John 2, beginning in verse 13. And <coughs> basically he clears the temple 
of the money changers and those people who were selling uh, the sacrifices to the poorer people. I'm, I'm sure that uh, those who lived in Jerusalem and were wealthy enough had their their own source for their sacrifices. But these people were selling sacrifices apparently oriented toward the poor and those who traveled that came there. Yes, that that people couldn't. People were mandated to come to the temple. Many people did, even if they weren't from all over the right. air, w- world there. And so these services were set up there so they would have animals. Instead of having to bring the animals with them, they would have animals and other sacrifices. So it was a service to people. But they had, And then they had, to, they had to give the money to the temple if they wanted to give money in shekels, which they might not have had. And so they, they Yeah, would, they couldn't give Roman money. Right, they, they Roman would change that money for them from Roman money or Greek money or whatever to the, to the shekel. And then, but what was going on there, and Edersheim and other scholars note this, that it was had become basically uh, a scam, almost a cheating operation, where people were t- being taken advantage of because they were traveling, and therefore the uh, and therefore the uh, Jesus was upset about this because they were doing it right there in the temple. It was no longer just a service to help people worship God. It become a money making scheme for these. For these merchants. Money changers and sellers. Yeah. And it says and it says when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables, basically. So it wasn't exactly... <coughs> he may have done it twice. Some people think there's two yeah, accounts. So he may have done it on two different occasions. Uh, and basically he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. That's That was... Uh, his comment on it in in the John account, and it just be, had just become a big business. Yes, no longer the worship of the temple wasn't the central point. Their business and the making the money was the main point. Now, this isn't the question that was the asked. The question here. is, what about this indignation and anger that resulted in what I would consider what? G- Comparing what Jesus was capable of doing, this is a mild incident. Okay, this, <laughs> people think it's a big thing, think but of, he was capable of destroying the whole place, right? Right. And uh, so, my thought is, in the meek person, basically there is room for righteous anger. Uh, we are told as Christians that uh, basically, do not let the sun go down on your anger, or be angry but do not sin. Uh, the fact that we can be angry is is part of uh, being a Christian and part of the things that we see. And and I think to be angry over sin and the things that it, and the corruption that it creates is, should be a natural thing for us. Now it needs to be controlled, but there's a place for that. And it has to be controlled within the fact that uh, the meek person is always in control of what he does. It's not to say that Jesus was not in control. He was just not wildly going about. He had a purpose, and he was doing certain things to do those purposes, create those purposes. So compared to what he could have done, this is a very mild instance and a very right. controlled instance. And he was he was showing strength under control, control, and it wasn't just for a selfish purpose that he was doing it. It says he, they even quote, I think, Zechariah, zeal for thy house hath eaten me up. Yes. It was his anger at their disrespect for the Lord and making merchandise of a holy place that it caused this anger. So it is possible for 
a Christian to be angry about something and it, it not even be selfish anger because of justice or right or wrong. When we see injustice taking place around us, we ought to get angry about it sometimes. And I think that that's, that's a proper response. Now, James says that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So, meaning if you're a human getting angry, you need to be very cautious because sometimes it then becomes, it becomes, uh, it's not, doesn't work out what God would have you do. It becomes selfish, becomes out of control, becomes, it becomes uh, vindictive or vengeance. And that's why Ephesians 4.26 says, Self-serving. Yeah. Self-serving. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or give place to the devil. Now, I think that idea there is, once again, you can be meek and you can, you can get angry about something, but a meek man has that anger under control. under control. And so he doesn't go ahead and sin. The anger doesn't push him into sinning against somebody else, either by physical or uh, violence or some other kind of uh, verbal attack, saying things he ought not say, uh, taking vengeance, lots of other reasons, ways anger can can uh, manifest itself. And then he tells you how to how to fix it and says, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Right. We could do a whole radio show on that, what that means. But basically what it means is you are, don't just be the kind of person who gets angry about things, but be the kind of person when they get angry, they try to fix the problem that they're angry about. That's what it means to do, let that sun go down upon your wrath. You're trying to fix the anger to the anger can be appeased. Some people's anger comes, and they never fix it, and it just lingers, turns into resentment, and then worse sins come. Yes, and, so, and one, of the, one of the parts of the <clears throat> definition there was, was uh, enduring injury or pa- and with patience and without resentment. The meek yes. person does not let this lead to resentment. You fix the problem, well, you try to take care of it, and you, and you don't. Uh, I, I get, you see, like Moses got angry when he saw the children of Israel uh, committing fornication there when he came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments in his hand, and he broke them. He was so angry. I don't think God condemned him for that, unless I've missed something in the reading. We could go back and read it. But that was righteous anger, and God gave him another copy of them. And God gave him more tablets. <laughs> more tablets. But but uh, he he didn't then just kill all the people. As a matter of fact, Moses apparently talks him out of talks it. Talks out of God from killing, out, killing the people. So he had, once again, a meek man. His anger was reined in. It was brought under control. He, he kept focused on what was truly right to be angry about, what should be fixed or corrected, and he directed his attention toward that. So we can get angry with a coworker or a spouse or a friend or somebody else, but we have to keep focused on the problem, the issue, not just what we want out of it or how it makes us feel at the moment. Well, Gary, what, you want to say anything more about this? I, uh, I think that's probably okay. as far as we can go right now. Uh, this I'm, is a controversial passage. I know a, we have a phone call. But. Yeah, it's, it's a controversial passage, but I want to point out that this is not an everyday occurrence with Jesus. This is a very rare right. thing. And so it should be with us. Our anger should, yes. be, should be restrained. Um, the other thing I was going to mention about it before we go to the phones is the whole situation there in the temple. It, it makes me think of what's come comes at a lot of churches, 
And that's where they just make merchandise of people. It's about t- turning the church building, uh, you know, set up with the ATM in the lobby and then all the all the books and papers and CDs and everything for sale, not to give to people, but everything is for sale. There might be a place for that. But at times, I think it takes it takes a visitor or someone who has doubts about God or churches. They walk in, they see this whole business operation, you know, like a storefront. And then you got your coffee shop and you got your gifts. You know, you got the whole shebang. It looks like a mini mall at a church building. We forget, Mike, I think that. Now, we don't do that kind of stuff here, and that's the reason. But we forget. And when I say we, I use we inclusively as professed Christians and so on. But basically, we forget that the unbeliever is watching and just looking for a place for us to stumble. Yes. I remember one time, now we, we don't have a set order or liturgy as we do things here. It's generally the same, but that's just more out of convenience or habit, not out of what we think the scriptures say. So, but I was at church, probably told this story before, Gary, to you, that I was at a church, a bunch of young people, they wanted to change things up. So we usually had the collection, which the scripture authorizes in 1 Corinthians 16 at the, toward the end of the service. Well, these young men wanted to put it at the front of the service, first thing. So, and I got this report from another member who was sitting there toward the back. First thing in the service, guy opened the service, and now we're going to take up a collection. And he said, I was, the people sitting behind me were brand new, just walked in off the street. And he said, the guy turned to his wife and said, see, I told you they just wanted our money. Yeah. And they got up and left. That's the first thing they saw. Now, that, that was maybe unfair, but that's what, you're right. That's what they're, they're looking for. That's what they're looking so for. So be cautious about, make, about making it all about the merchandise you can sell. Anyway, that's another subject. Jerry, you're on the phone there. How you doing? Okay, Jerry, that'll be fine. Thanks for calling. That's a good question. And, you know, um, I, got a, I got a whole bunch of comments on that. Jerry may have too, but... Now, uh, internalized anger, I think if from what I understand how the term is often used, it's a situation where some trauma or other situation, maybe a, some abuse or some mistreatment, has caused a person to become generally resentful. I think the internalized anger is probably that resentment that we mentioned earlier. It is anger that has been left to, to rot and it sits in the soul and just kind of turns and festers. You know, time doesn't heal all wounds. Time causes wounds to fester, become infected. And the point of the scripture there in Ephesians 4, 25 and 26, do not be angry and do not sin and don't let the sun go down in your wrath, is you need to take care of that injury before it festers. So if you're angry with someone and, you're, and you may or may not be justified in that, but either way, you need to go confront that situation as best you can and figure out what you can do about it. And then you're either going to have to let it go or you're going to have to forgive the person or you're going to have to uh, do take some other action. It. You're going to have to do so something So you don't about it. build up resentment because resentment, that's what he means by the wrath of God. There are different words in Greek for wrath and anger. Sometimes they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. Sometimes they're used uh, differently. The word, the word, one of the words is orge, which is, well, let's go to the first one. The first one is thumos, which is often translated 
anger, sometimes it's translated wrath. We get the word thermos from that, heat. And it's that boiling up of anger. Sometimes they would define it as a person with a temper that just boils up real quickly. And boy, they get angry really fast. And then the anger fades away kind of fast. Other times this word is used, thumos is used to be that kind of quick anger that leads to sin, where it causes people to do reckless things. The other word is orge, which uh, we get several different English words from, but the idea there is it is a slow boiling anger that takes a long time to manifest itself. Now that word sometimes is translated resentment. Now the, the two, my, my wife, I, I have that kind of temper. I get angry very quickly and then it goes away just immediately almost. My wife's temper anger builds and if I start seeing anger in her I've learned over 48 and a half years that she's been angry for a while it's just now boiling to the surface so she's really angry (laughs) if I can see it and she's expressing it she's really angry whereas I may express it early on and I'm not really angry at least it's not going to last so that's caused some misunderstandings early on in our marriage about how we deal with this so the Bible is telling you Don't internalize your anger. Now, you mentioned this business of um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and and Narcotics Anonymous is the same way, and I have some experience with those. Before Uh, you start on this. Okay, go ahead. there There was a thought that I had about this that we talk about time healing things, and what really I think is the major component in healing these these offenses and things that bring about anger and resentment in us is humility, the, the opposite of pride. If, if, I, if I'm prideful, I found it very difficult. If my pride's coming through and I have to learn to recognize that, I find it very difficult to let go of something that someone has done. Or, or, and, uh, but, but if you're meek or humble... Well, you may get angry, but you, at the same time, you're just, realizing I may be wrong. I may be wrong. I may, and I may not understand it all, so let me let think me, through this and let me talk before I speak. So, I, so when somebody says time heals all wounds, I think it's really time and humility heals can, all can wounds. Can heal. T- time and, and, and the Bible says time and action and, and re- and heal all wounds because you can heal wounds. But what happens is sometimes people, you know, drinking and alcohol abuse and drug abuse – uh, and we're just seeing an epidemic of this um, <clears throat> in society today, and it's a lot of its marijuana use is becoming so so much more prolific than it was, and the, ma- the marijuana is so much more powerful. But I read the other day, Gary, that about 30% of all uh, severe schizophrenic cases, mental illness cases in young men are now attributed to, to marijuana use. 30% really? of all mental illness in young men is marijuana use. Um, wow. That, that's and that may be low. They're saying it's so it's so profound, and yet we think it doesn't make a difference. And I don't I don't care if it's prescription or not. It still has an effect on your brain, and it can lead to mental illness. And and people are unaware of this because they've been told for so long since the drug generation started here when I was a young man that marijuana is harmless, but marijuana and alcohol uh, really destroy a lot of your inhibitions, your brain, they change things. And what happens is when people then, because of alcohol, 
they're probably drinking because they've already been hurt or are unable to process things that have happened to them properly. That's probably why they're drinking. Okay, and then they start drinking and the alcohol and the effects of the alcohol and the way they act when they're drinking causes many more problems. And so now they drink more and it beca- they build up a lot of anger toward other people, often toward themselves. That's probably what Jerry's talking about here, that over time the person who and then when they try to quit drinking, they realize they may have ruined many relationships in their life. It's damaging them. So they try to quit. They've got a whole bank, a whole load of internalized anger, often at themselves and other people, that they haven't ever resolved. Because as long as you're drinking and smoking marijuana, you don't know how to get rid of those problems. You can't, you can't fix the problems because the, because the drugs, the, the uh, intoxicants, hinder you from being able to fix the problems with the people around you or with yourself. They hinder you from doing it. And so now you've got this whole buildup. And I think that's one of the things that AA tries to help people with, and Narcotics Anonymous also, is to slowly over time start dealing with those problems, making amends to people, making a list, making amends, start fixing that stuff. And that's the benefit of that program. Now, one thing you mentioned, Gary, that I, I don't agree with about AA and NA, and this may be controversial, Far be it from me to say anything controversial, I suppose, but I don't agree with the idea that once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. Um, I don't think that's what the scriptures teach about addictions or about sin. That once you, uh, a person commits adultery, does that mean that they're always an adulterer? No, the Bible says about these fornicators, adulterers, all that list of sins in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some some of of you, you. but you've been cleansed. So there is a point at which, yes, for I don't know what time period it is for people who are recovering from intoxication of addictions. But there's a time when when you you are addicted and you still are an addict, even though you're trying to get better. There should be in your mind a time ahead in which you will not be addicted anymore. Okay, that's what I'm saying. And, and I think it's, it's a different time span for different people. It is. And that's why it's hard to say how long it is. But it may be, it may be lifetime for some people. Some people have such a serious problem with uh, this trauma and the personality and maybe their own body chemistry that beating these addictions is a lifelong problem, and they really have to keep an eye on it. As Paul said, I buffet my body daily, lest after I've taught others, I become a castaway, Second Corinthians chapter 9, that I become a castaway, you see. So, so I understand it can be a lifelong problem, but I want the person from the beginning, I tell them, yes, understand that you're addicted, you got to, you're thinking the same way you used to, you got to break that habit, you got to have a long practice of beating this addiction. But one day, it could very well be that you will realize I'm no longer a slave to this sin. Well, one of the things that helps, I think, is as more as we study what we should be as Christians. I want to read a passage from Colossians chapter 3. Mike, he says in beginning verse 12, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God for the Father through him. Through the word. Right. By, by that, studying you slowly, Jesus, It slowly alters your character. The it, spirit it, it alters your character. It does. brings in that humility. It, it builds that meekness. It helps that long-suffering. It does all these things, and we need to be more involved in that. I, that's just my thought on I it. I think that's right. Before we go to the next call, I just want to say this. I, I will confess that... that um, I'm not going to tell you the whole story or obvious or anything, but I will confess maybe 10 years ago, I got, I don't know when it was. It finally really dawned on me and I was already an old man that I had spent a good portion of my life angry about a lot of stuff. Um, and that had affected me. And I don't know that anybody else around me would look and say, yeah, Mike's an angry, angry guy, but it was down in my heart and it was over things. I guess a lot of my anger was actually somewhat toward God. Uh, for some things in my life early on in my childhood. But but I have spent some time trying to, as you say, Gary, deal with that from the scriptures and from observation yep. and, and make some changes in things. And it is makes a big difference uh, in a lot of things. But that, that may be what Ger- Jerry's talking about by internalized anger. A lot of people have it. Look, find out why. Find out what it is. Figure it out. And when you do, and then you begin to look at the, what the scriptures say, you're going to be so much better off. So much, so much, you're going to be humbled. It's going to be, it's going to be a humiliating experience, but you'll be uh, on the right track. And unfortunately, a lot of those things, Mike, whether we like to admit it or not, come back to pride. Oh, they do. Oh, yeah, that was, that's why I was angry, because of my pride. And, and that's they why come I was back angry. To pride. I, I, I kind of had the same experience. Because after I became a Christian, I didn't notice, I didn't actually notice things that I was doing that I come to learn at some point after I became much older. I was in my 60s probably when I realized, you know, those things that you're doing are at the root of pride. Those, those are yeah. things that you really shouldn't have been. And I had been doing them for years. And it takes after. a long time to root them all out, doesn't it? Yes, There's it does. There's still a lot of them still there. And it, and it becomes very hard not to do them again because they become habitual almost. Right, right. Uh, it becomes who you are to some degree. And, but I, what I've learned is if I study and, and begin to keep keep on that, I make the goal to keep on the track and learn and do those things, eventually you will see those things. Lord will give, I think the Lord will give you enough time to see those things. Right, right. If, if, you, if you're seeking. If you're That's seeking. what Jesus means by seeking, you shall find. Yeah. We'll have another caller on the line. Are you there, Laura? That, that's part of the meekness, isn't it? Learning, learning and the humility is to learn what it is that I need to be careful of. Uh, and, and what my trigger, as triggers are, as they say today. Yes, and and then to admit that to yourself, and then to be on guard for it, is takes another whole set of 
resources, but the Scripture gives us those resources. It shows us that the Scripture, James says, as you know, Laura, is a mirror uh, uh, into the perfect law of liberty. So you hold the Scriptures up in front of you, and it shows you what you are, for good or for bad. And if you keep looking long enough, you'll begin to see the image of Jesus in there, and you can change. Uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so I, I really, I think that's exactly right. But it's a difficult thing, like you and I were just talking about personally, to assess your own character in life more, more truthfully, humbly than you did when you were younger and make that right change. It's hard to do. But I think that's at the root of a lot of people's addictions and why they can't get over them. Um, it's, it, it's at the root. They they can each have different physical consequences or even mental consequences, but they all form, uh, they they serve the same purpose to people. Sex and pornography is the same kind of thing for other people. They all have different consequences, but they, they serve the purpose of hiding ourselves from who we really are. Say that again. I don't think I caught what you said. Most churches are what? A poor, a poor display? Well, that might be, and I think the reason for that is, if it is true, is because churches are comprised of people who are, many of them, many churches have a lot of sick people in them. Um, and all of them have, all of them have their share of, of people, some of them are full of pride. That's why they're there. Some of, some of them are there because they are sick and seeking. Others are there, you know, to to show off. Uh, who knows? But yes, churches should be a different thing. But a lot of them are a poor display of Christ's love. And I think some of that, Laura, is because some churches don't really teach what the Bible says about what Christ is. Uh, they're teaching human ideas instead of going into the Word. And finding the answer there, but um, you know, I, and I, I don't think a lot of churches are as attuned to hypocrisy in their midst as they ought to be, and to worldliness. They, they're seeking the, the they're seeking the approval of the world and their worldly neighbors and friends and society, rather than seeking the approval of Christ. And so, therefore, they countenance and they coddle sin. I, I read a story uh, this week, and I can't remember the woman's name, and I'm not trying to dump on her, but she is a prominent politician, in, I think in South Carolina, who has recently converted to Christ, and she was on, she went to the campaign for this Tim Scott up there in South Carolina, who's running for president, and in her introductory remarks, she mentioned that, well, I, I was at I was in bed with my fiance this morning, and he reached over and tried to pull me toward him. And I said, "No, not this morning, because I have to get up and get to that 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 uh, Tim Scott thing, you know, this morning." And she went up there praising God and talking about the church that she goes to and all that. And and um, so I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. She's got a long way to go. But a, a woman who's bragging about being a, a Christian woman going to this great church who's openly confessing fornication in front of thousands of people and not even realizing it's a problem. I don't blame her 
Laura, I blame the church that she's going to for not taking a stand and helping her with that. Does that make any sense? You, you can, that you, doesn't you, represent you, you, Christ. It reflects what they are teaching. It reflects what they tolerate and what, yeah. they, what they teach, yes. yes. Now, I'm not saying they should throw her out, but I'm saying that, that uh, somewhere along the line, something is not right about that. So as I say, I'm not trying just to criticize her. Uh, I'm saying I just don't think something's – and that's what – that's why the world, the world's never going to respect the morality of Christ altogether. But I know they won't respect it when they know that you're not living it. If they know you're not even trying, why should they do it? Right? Well, the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you off a little bit, Mike, but it is related to that. We talked earlier about 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear now my common presentation of that is we don't very often look for the way of escape no the, and and he says in another, and this this promise I think is to is to Christians yes this promise is to Christians not to everyone in basically what he says in terms of this, uh, I'll answer you with, with the Second Thessalonians 2.11. He says, With all unrighteous deception among those who perished because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God can work against you, too, if you are working against him. Yes, and that's how, that's how it works. That's how it works. Yep. If, and, and some of these churches, I think, basically don't have very much of a love for the truth. No, they want people there, money there, people yes. there. Well, now, Laura, we didn't let you talk much. What else you want to say about this? Well, Laura, people are going to prove. People are going to prove themselves who they are. Yeah, they're going to show you who they are. You don't have to attack them. If if they're a phony or if they're not serious, they're going to show you that over time, and so you can be patient with them and instruct and teach and encourage and all that, and and they'll prove it by what they do or how they respond. And I think there's a, here's something else that I would say about this subject to those who are listening about this, is that not everybody, not every Christian who fails and does something wrong that you can find in a church is a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who is a pretender, who is a phony, who is pretending to be one thing but really isn't, and they're trying to deceive or fool you into thinking that they're a Christian or a good person. What we see in a lot of times in, in, in churches among people and even ourselves is here's a person who's serious about being a Christian, but they fail. They fail and stumble from time to time, like Peter did and like the others. And so that's, a, that's not a hypocrite. That's just a person who fails, and we need to encourage that person. Churches need to root out the hypocrites who are just phonies, but they need to, they need to hang on to those. Now, that's why you might see in a church from time to time and I, I would say this woman I mentioned, this, 
this politician up there in South Carolina, I think she is. I don't think she's a hypocrite. I'll give her that. Because she openly confessed what she was doing and she thought it was fine. Must have thought it was fine. She wasn't trying to hide it. She's, she's misinformed or weak or whatever it may be. And so something needs to change. But I don't think you can call her a phony. I think she just doesn't know. And, and that's different than somebody who knows and who is pretending to be something else than what they are. Yes, and, and we all, I think, Mike, from time to time, we've both said, when we come to Christ, we don't know everything that is required of us through his word. We can't we even see, do what we do know. We, we <laughs> can't even do what we do know, but right. we don't know. And, and, and what I blame is, and I think the blame is rightly there, it's with the teachers in those organizations that do not put forward the word of God because they think it may be unpopular. Those are the real hypocrites. Those are the ones that are, that are to yeah. me, give the problem yeah. because what did Jesus say? If the blind lead the blind, they will both fall in the ditch. These people are leading people in a path that will cause them to fall. And that is not a good place to be with God. It is certainly not. It's one of the things here that Mike and I try to do is we are trying to teach and expose all of God's word, not just part of it. Right. And, and and that's why we're here. That's why we keep saying, and, and I keep quoting from John twelve forty eight. I'm, I'm going to do it again. He says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. They are not going to be judged on what Mike and I say from the front of the auditorium. They are going to be judged on what Jesus said and what's contained in his word. And what we say better match that. Right. Now, Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 28, and write what you're talking about, Gary. Paul said to those elders there who were responsible for the teaching at Ephesus, he said that, I therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. And he goes on to talk about the wolves are going to enter in, drawing away disciples after themselves. And so he said, I did not cease to warn you night and day for three years. So he says he had to declare to them the whole counsel of God, not just some positive affirmations for the day, how to feel good about yourself this week, seven habits of highly successful people, which is good, but that's not all there is to the word of God, as it were, or the truth. Yes. And so they don't, they don't give the person like this congresswoman, they don't give her the teaching that she needs to make the other kind of changes in her life to bring her in line with the will of Christ. That, that's, what, that's where those kind of teachers are going to be held accountable. And they do it, like you say, oftentimes they do it because they can't make any money the other way. They won't be popular. And so uh, they don't they, do it. They, they won't have the people in the pulpit, which yeah, goes back sure. to money and popularity and sure. pride all, all at the same time. Um, just be, I just implore everyone that's listening to us and attending a church regularly, compare what you're being taught in the church to what's in the Scripture. That's really the whole point of this show. That's, that, that, that is the whole point of this yes, show. Compare what you are being taught to what's in the Scripture because they must match. Yeah, a plain reading of the scriptures, not some creed book, 
something like that. And that is that is a more that is a more involved and difficult job than most people think. It is. It is. It takes a diligent work that. And Laura, you want to finish us up on this subject? Got anything else to add? Okay. God bless you for calling. Thank you very much, Laura. We appreciate you calling. Well, yeah, this is a, we, we probably touch on a lot of these subjects, but you can see when you start off with meekness, Gary, and, and then talk about um, yeah. anger, you're getting into some broad territory. And then Jerry's question about how this relates to internalized anger and, you know, about um, what, ha- what happens to people that are trying to fight some addiction is a very good one. And it, it goes to the heart of what's eating a lot of our society right now. I'm more and more convinced every day, and of course I've been preaching now for close to 50 years, but it just becomes more apparent every day that, that our society is being, one of the things that's eating it up is, is intoxication. Whether it's legally prescribed, illegally taken, whatever it is, it's intoxication. Why are people intoxicated? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. And that we it, it covers such a broad area, but this revolution that the Beatles sang about of sex, drugs, and rock and roll has actually won the day at present time. I don't think that's going to last, but at present time, it is. It's in power, and one of the one of the course the legs of that stool is drugs, rock and and the other one is entertainment and so forth and and. Uh, we see that taking over the whole culture. So from young to old, we have more people in this society who have more things, better health, everything else you can imagine than any other time in the history of the world by far, and yet they're more unhappy, Gary. Yes. Why is that? Because God is not there, and their life is empty, and they don't know why, and so they turn to intoxication. Then their life becomes more empty because they're turning to various kinds of intoxication, whether little or much, and the wine mommies and all the other uh, intoxicants going on being legal. You know, it, uh, look, <clears throat> I talked about this the other day. Uh, just drive up and down US 1, <clears throat> right up there at Midway Road, there's the sanctuary. You would think the place called the sanctuary was a religious place. Well, it is, I guess, because it's a CDB. Marijuana place. That's the religion, the intoxication religion. The other one's true leaf or one leaf. These are all religious themes. And and that's that's where intoxication has now come to in our culture in South Florida and probably around the country is that intoxication is the new way to reach God, to find yourself, to become whole, to be healed. It isn't God. It isn't true. It isn't the truth of the scriptures. It's intoxication of various sorts. It's it's what it is. Now, you may think I'm crazy, but just hold on to your hat for the next 10 years and see if you, th- see if you think I'm crazy in 10 more years. Oh, Mike, okay? that, that has been a theme in science. I'm, I'm kind of a science fiction fan. I used to read a lot of science fiction books and, and you know, futuristic things, space travel, a lot, some fantasy work. But that was the theme in those books. You found yourself by getting high. In other sure. words, you got out of your body in some strange way, and you could find have, yourself. Have you ever heard the Oracle of Delphi? You go back to the other. Just go back, not to the future, but to the past. Yes. The Oracle at Delphi in Greek, where yeah. the Greeks, the, 
kings and everybody would go there to okay they found this place they think now and they found in this place in the crevice where they they put the idol up in front of this crevice in the earth you know and they would speak through this idol to the people who were there that these methane type gases were seeping up from the earth and it was making these priestesses high and that's why they were saying the things they were they were in there basically stoned in this crevice in the earth from the gases coming up. I forgot what kind of gas it is. And now that, and then after, after a few centuries, those gases faded and it wasn't any fun to go there anymore. They weren't getting any quote unquote, uh, godlike prophecies, just ordinary stuff. And so it kind of closed down, but they can still detect this now. And the mech, the, the American Indians, their peyote and all through the ancient world, always oh, intoxication is how you get to God. Yes. That's how you get there. Even as I mentioned the sermon the other day, you had the doors, Jim Morrison, who's now a godlike figure to the rock and roll crowd. His 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 most important song in his mind was Break On Through to the Other Side because he spent most of his young life intoxicated or high trying to reach the other side, the spiritual side of life. When it was all right there in front of him in the scriptures, but and that took that takes a sober mind to understand, and, and it takes a sober mind to apply the scriptures to yourself honestly. You can't do it while you're intoxicated. Well, to the point of a sober mind, it means you must think about these things. We we talk about how when people come to Christ today, it's easy for us to recognize a lie. It's easiest. It's easy for us to recognize theft as being right. wrong. It's easy right. for us to recognize murder as being wrong, or maybe even not so much fornication or adultery. But when you get to passages like this in Philippians two, in verse three, he says, "Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interests of others." That's harder to see what that looks like in your everyday life. And you can understand that when you're 30, and then you have to re- re-understand it when you're 60. 60. Yeah, exactly. you have to re-figure out there's more to it than you thought. Yeah. Exactly. There's more. That gets more and more and more to the point as we get older and older, and that's not as easy to see what that looks like. Right. We've all, you said, and I think it's a good explanation, what does... When the Bible tells you something, you have to say, what does what that look like in look? my life? What would that look like if I saw it? Right. Yes. And, and that verse is harder mm-hmm. to understand mm-hmm. what it looks like. Because if you don't do that, eventually with the Bible, it's just words. Yes. If you don't ever bring it down to what it means to see it in your life or somebody else's life, then what good is it? It's just, it's just pious words that you're saying. Well, for, for instance. So we need that kind of thing. For instance, let me. People do not drive like Christians. Do you know that? Yeah, People in general do not drive like Christians. I was coming to the radio show this morning, and I pulled over into the left-hand turn lane, and there was a left-hand turn signal light up there, and it turned green, and the guy in front of me just sat there and sat there and <laughs> sat there. And finally, I just beeped the horn, and he woke up, and I went through under yellow. And I was right behind him, and he was first in line. <laughs> if he were thinking like I think this passage looks like, he would be sitting there thinking, is there anybody behind me that's trying to get through this light right. as well? Right. Okay. Or I need to pay attention. Or I other, need to pay there's attention. There's other people on the road besides there's, me. But right. There are other people on the road right. besides me. 
then that would be a just think of the difference in the experience in driving from one place to the other if we all did that. All we're thinking, these people want to get where they're going, so maybe I need to pay attention and do this right. Right. The other thing, though, I'll say, if you don't interpret it the wrong way, I think I don't like drivers who try to be too nice. In other words, they got the right of way, but they want to stop and let you go and, and hold foul up, up everything and, uh, everywhere. Up Nobody traffic. knows what to do then. Again, so you can again, be too see, that's nice what I'm saying. because you're not following the law. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's harder to see what this looks like. Right. It's harder to see what this looks like, and you've right. got to think about those situations. Yeah, how uh, should I be doing? And, you're, you know, and driving is the place where a lot of us forget our Christianity, isn't it? Behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, now I'm that's, guilty of that. I'm, occasionally I stop traffic because sometimes I'll look in the mirror and the traffic is so stacked up and there's this poor guy trying to get out into the line. And and yet I'm holding up the whole thing, but I'll stop and let him let in. Him in. I, I, well, that's okay. Yeah, but, you know, you know, stopping when there's a whole bunch of people and there's traffic going people on. People are you, moving and all that. People are moving. It's just it's just something else again. No, being so, courteous is not what I'm talking about. I, right. But the fact is, if you, you have to apply Christianity to the whole of life. And, and I think that anger, uh, our original subject and meekness, are some hard places to apply that whole situation, that whole uh, problem. Yes. Well, anyway, you have no... I, uh, I appreciate those who called today and those who texted. We got another text message today, but I don't think that we have time uh, to deal with it. Let I'm going to read it just to set the people up because we'll try to do this soon. The question is, Gary, is there salvation outside of, quote, the church of Christ? Is someone baptized in another church for the same reasons in the same way, corrupted by not being held in the church of Christ? so forth uh, so we're gonna, look, we'll, we don't have time to talk about that today you need to, you the need subject to, of baptism is an important one and what it well means. you need to define, define church of Christ well we'll have to let, we're going to have to do that's why I say it's a big we're subject we're going to have to do that but that's a great question and uh, so you can look forward to that here in an upcoming show we'll talk about that well I'd like and, to mention one other thing go ahead we had been studying in Wednesday night and uh, Sunday morning I've been doing classes while Mike is recovering uh, and I've done a couple of classes on Daniel, and we talked about Daniel and what he does within. In one case, he refused early in Daniel. He refused to eat the food, and he asked for a test to see if that worked. And one of the things that, of course, Daniel had a command to eat certain foods, but one of the things that that presented to me, this was my interpretation of it. One of the things that presented to me is Daniel was concerned about eating perhaps because it reflected his relationship with God. Now, do we think about all the things in our life that reflect upon our relationship with God? When you go back to the old law, they had to wear certain clothes. They couldn't trim their beards a certain way. They could only walk so far in a day. They, they were all these rules that they had to handle. And, and my point was, I think that old law... It set them apart from others, that's true, but for the most part, that old law was teaching them that their relationship with God depended on everything in their life. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. And I think, the, I think that situation in Daniel probably was exactly that, that um, he would not, uh, he wouldn't eat the king.
king's provisions, it says in Daniel 1, 5, uh, of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and so forth. And so Daniel was concerned that those would be unclean foods. Yes. He had a command for that. I understand that. God gave him a command. He could only, and he paid attention. The remarkable thing about that, Gary, and along with what you're saying, is that Daniel was a young man in a foreign country and nobody there to tell him what to do. He had no backup. No, no parents his... or nobody to fall back on. He did the right thing even though he was young in a foreign place. Maybe he had three friends that would have agreed with him. But yes, but that's I'm saying all he had. And they may not have always been together. And so this is a remarkable man. And the Bible pictures Daniel as... Well, he's one of the few righteous men that ever lived, according to God, called righteous. Right. The three that he would mention, Daniel and Job and uh, Noah. Noah. And so this is because he, so what you're saying is right. He said, I'm going to do God's will, even in a foreign country, all the way down to the little food that goes in my mouth. I'm going to do what God says. Because my relationship with God depends on everything I do. And so you hear these preachers on the radio and TV and other ways saying, don't sweat the small stuff. Yes. You need now, to... that's not scriptural. I'm just going to tell you that advice from whoever it may be in his, in his uh, little uh, tight jeans and his polo shirt preaching up there, that's not scriptural advice. Don't sweat the small stuff. You but, need to sweat. Whatever God says to sweat, you need to sweat. Philippians. Okay. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What does that look like? Yeah. You, and then, you, do what's, you do what's right, whether you think it's big or the world thinks it's big or small. If God says something about it, follow what God says as best you can. And if you learn something different, then change. But follow what you, follow what you know up to that point. So uh, that's an important principle to live by, and I, I see this being violated. Th- this is why I think what uh, Laura was saying is right in this sense that a lot of churches are poor representations of Christ. I don't think that's because necessarily because they've got people that are sinners in those churches. That's part of it. I think a lot of what I would say that way is true is because the people that lead those churches are not preaching the true gospel of Christ. They're preaching something else. They're not dedicated to the word and the word only for what they teach. And they don't even hold themselves accountable to the word. So many times in Scripture, Gary, we find this link, yes. especially in the New Testament. It's also in the Old, of a false teacher and immorality. False teacher and immorality. That's because a false teacher, person's not paying attention to what God says. He's with pride, as you mentioned. Yes. He's going to do what he wants. And so he thinks he can get away with sleeping with the different sisters in the church, other people. And so it happens over and over and over again in churches. Well, we haven't got a lot of time left. You want to summarize some of this stuff, Gary, and then we'll Well, wrap the show up? All I can think of is I think that lesson in Daniel is something we should think about. In terms of looking at our life as everything in our life uh, has an effect on our relationship with God, it will, by consequence, set us apart from the mainstream of, of people. But the point really in the old law to the Jews, something that I hesitate to say this, but I, it, it keeps coming back up to me. They didn't understand that what the point in the old law was to make them understand everything they did was being looked at by God and, and was affecting their relationship with him. Right. Everything in their life that they did, how they spoke, how they dressed, what they eat, where they went, 
all of these things. You see, and I don't think it's just a matter of God being picky about little stuff. What the real point of that is in understanding human nature is that when we begin to then to take liberties and to dismiss what we think is small stuff and not pay attention, it alters our heart. It changes our relationship with God and our respect for him. And if you won't be faithful in the little stuff, Jesus says, how can you be faithful in the big big stuff? stuff. See, so so it does make a difference. And don't let people convince you that it doesn't matter what you do about a lot of things. If the Bible speaks what you ought to do, then pay attention and and be faithful to God, both in small and little. And all these things that you need to pay attention to are found in the word of God. Right. Put your head in the word of God. And if I leave you with any it, thought, those and, are the ones. Right, and in that way, we, we are seeking the grace of God because that's how we're going to find the grace of God through Jesus Christ and his word. So in any event, uh, our time is about gone. Thanks so much for listening. May God bless you.